Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast on the PFF Podcast Network. Here with my guy, Mike Renner, ready to rip it up. We interview Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs, who would be our favorite for offensive rookie of the year if they actually counted offensive linemen in that ward. We also hit on some headlines, Jalen Hurts, Paul Gunther, the defensive coordinator of Las Vegas Raiders fired. And then, not to bury the lead, we're doing a mock draft. Mike and I do a mock draft back and forth, all 32 first-round picks, and then we rip into our normal rookie and prospect review from the previous weekend. Let's rip it. Mike Renner, Austin Gale, back in action here in the Cincinnati studio. I'm on another heater, Mike. I don't know if you feel it in the air. It may be cold outside, but I continue to bet well every weekend. It makes my weekends better. I said USC minus three. It got down to minus two and a half. I laid some more cheddar down on it. They end up covering the number. And I had Buffalo Bills minus two and a half. I had the Eagles money line. I had the Eagles plus six and a half at a certain spot. I had the Washington football team money line. I, I don't know what to do, man. I might be retiring here soon. Yeah. I mean, that's... I also had the uh, Atlanta Falcons money line because I continue to sweat and bet the Atlanta Falcons for whatever reason, and they just find ways to lose football games. Ohio just needs to legalize gambling now. The yes. fact that Ohio, we're in Cincinnati, which is right on the border of Kentucky and Ohio, the fact that neither of those states have legalized gambling, like if Kentucky would, I would walk across the bridge right yes. next to where I live oh, every buddy. day and start placing down bets. It's just so dumb. It's but, like a 10-minute bike ride for me to get yeah. to Kentucky. I would definitely do that. And so uh, before we dive into things, I know we got a lot to packed on the show today. Tristan Worf's interview, mock draft, rookie and prospects review. People want the dating stories, Mike. Ooh. People people have been reaching out and saying, where are the dating stories? I got one. This is from probably like over a month ago, maybe two months ago. Um, it was right when Deshaun Watson signed that monster contract on a Saturday morning. And I had a coffee date with this girl who worked at P&G, which if you don't know, it's a Cincinnati company that kind of makes everything. That's a class. Yeah, that's it, like a- it makes everything. They make toothpaste, laundry detergent, Pampers, all that stuff. She was a brand manager for Pampers. Her entire job was picking out the babies that go on the commercials. She's like, yeah, really? that's a good looking baby. Yeah, that's a good looking baby. I can pick out good looking babies. I, I was I like, you know, that sounds like the dream job. But she mm-hmm. immediately, I said, yeah, I'm like a, a you know, editor, writer at PFF, this company you haven't heard of. And she's immediately like, yeah, this guy doesn't make a ton of money. I'm immediately on a down, down a peg. Then we're talking for a little bit. It's a good time. I end up find she ends up finding out I don't have a car. I say, yeah, I don't have a car. I ride a bike. She's like, that's my least favorite thing about you. And I was like, oh, oh my she god, said, that's your face. So originally, so originally, I'm like, wow, way to hit me in the chin. And then I kind of sit back a little bit. and I'm like, dude, that's not even bottom five. <laughs> there's a lot. Few, there's a lot more things to find yeah. out that are worse than me riding a bike everywhere. But long story short, I never know how to end coffee dates. It's not when you just finish the coffee. I've never you gone kinda, on a coffee it's, date. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. But Deshaun Watson signs this monster contract, and I tell her, hey, I kind of have to go. I have to sign this contract. She said, oh, where are you going? I was like, actually, I'm gonna, I brought my laptop. I'm going to work at this coffee shop and help edit this article to get on the site. She never texted me back. So um, so you ended the date by just like pulling out your laptop and yeah, working so right Yeah, so I, I mean, where am I going to go? Take an Uber from the coffee shop? <laughs> I was Man. like, I like bike to the coffee You're shop. You're basically just like, you got to go. That's how I'm ending this It was day. tough. It was tough. Yeah, I mean, a, rightfully so, didn't. Surprise she was kind of too full of herself. Out. Let's be honest. Too full of herself. Okay. Too no, full of herself. The, the, the problem was you started with the coffee date. Yeah. That's never... I just I've never one gone on a coffee date and two can't see how that ends. I like them well. because they're low risk and obviously low reward. I mean, you're not like you know taking anybody home or anything from a coffee date, whatever it may be. But I feel like on a first date, a it's yeah. very low risk, very inexpensive. If it sucks, you're out of there in an hour. If it's solid, you line up a solid second date where you actually are more comfortable doing more second date activities, like a dinner or something like that. I don't personally hate it. So as much as you want to hate on me, that's fine. But yeah, she never texted me back. It was um, not a love story in the making. That's for damn sure. All right, let's go ahead and get into these headlines here. Jalen Hurts, who George called the best quarterback in the NFC East, won a football game against the number one seed or formerly number one seed New Orleans Saints. A good defense. He earned a sub 60.0 PFF grade in that game, but... I still think what you saw from Jalen Hurts, this is what I'll say. It was a sub-60.0 PFF passing grade for a reason. He missed a handful of throws. What raised the floor of this offense was his rushing ability. Ran for over 100 yards, a ton of design runs. That is what kind of provided the spark for this Eagles offense. Miles Sanders said it best. He provided a spark. He's a natural-born leader. Was it a dominant performance by any means? Absolutely not. But it was a spark, and that's sometimes all you need when you're going against a battered Saints team with Taysom Hill under center. It was like Tim Tebow coming in for the Broncos way back when. <laughs> no, but that is what we talk about all the time. 
in the draft prospect process Jesus, about mobile quarterbacks, quarterbacks who are a threat in the run game, quarterbacks who can legitimately be another running back in the backfield, is that you have a high floor for your offense. If that is Carson Wentz back there, and you have Carson Wentz's non-existent now rushing ability after all his injuries, that offense scores five, like three points like it did the week before against the Packers. Like it doesn't move the ball because Jalen Hurts was not moving the ball through his arm alone. He really was not that good. And if you know, CJ Gardner Johnson catches that pick six that yeah. he dropped. We're thinking Dude, about right this performance. Him. Yeah, we're thinking about this in a lot different light, and that's why his grade's obviously so low. But like I said, 100 yards on the ground, what he does in opening up holes for also Miles Sanders, who went over 100 yards on the ground, is big. Like that helps a lot. And so it's worth asking the question why they didn't make it sooner, this move. I mean, Hertz looks. Uh, outside of that obvious pick, like he looks like he's comfortable enough back there. He's not panicking under pressure. Like he looks more comfortable in the pocket than Carson Wentz does at avoiding pressure. (laughs) Hard to look worse, but he looks more comfortable. So yeah, I I think job well done, but I, there's no, this isn't, you know, like what Justin Herbert looked like right out the gate. Like this isn't, this guy's going to be a stud. It's just, he's an obvious upgrade over the worst quarterback in the NFL. (laughs) I think that's very well put. Let's jump to Paul Gunther being fired. He was brought in with John Gruden. Apparently they're really good friends to be the defense coordinator for the Las Vegas Raiders or then Oakland Raiders in what, 2018? Has been with them for now two and a half, three seasons. And I'll, I'll say this. Something that was mentioned was that they had a young football team, a young defense, and he just wasn't developing the talent to the tune. And I, I, I wouldn't put it past him. They have the fourth most snaps played this season by first-year and second-year players. They have a ton of young defensive players on that team, and that includes a team that's starting Nick Witkowski, Corey Littleton, LaMarcus Joyner, among some other veterans. Yeah. Malik Collins is also on that football team, but they have a ton of rookies and second-year players, and I think I think it's more of a development problem. I, I think I think Ooh. I think some of these teams there's just no way the Las Vegas Raiders front office is swinging and missing on this much talent on the defense side of the ball. Maurice Hurst hasn't developed as we expected. Max Crosby, Whoa, Arden Key. Has been good. Maurice Hurst has been good, but he hasn't been world beater. He was our number 3 overall player in that class. Yeah. He has mean, not he's been good. He's been good, but he hasn't been a world beater. I think he could perform out, outperform expectations. Even Trayvon Mullen, who probably has developed a little bit this year, could be better. Who would you even say on that defense is the best player. Who's the best player on Las Vegas Raiders defense? I have Maybe a hot Brian take. Research. Maybe Nick Kwiatkowski. I was going to say Cleveland Furl. Like, Cleveland Furl this year has graded actually pretty well for that defense. Like, I think it, it's crazy to say it, but I think Cleveland Furl might be one of the better players on that defense right now, while the other talent just has not developed. How does Corey Littleton go from the highest-graded coverage linebacker with the Los Angeles Rams yeah. to now the yeah. lowest-graded linebacker in the NFL? I just think you're putting players out of position. LaMarcus Joyner was one of the highest-graded slot corners with the Rams. He comes over, and they make him play free safety. It's just confusing to me, the development and the placement of these players. I'm not surprised by the decision. Yeah, uh, but at the same time, just here's a rundown of the defensive players they've drafted in the first three rounds since John Gruden got there in 2018. You have P.J. Hall, second-round pick 2018, not even on the team anymore. You got Arden Key, who was a... Prod, very much a project, yeah. very much at off-field issues back in 2018, has not developed. Cleveland Furl, top five pick. He's, you could say he's the best defensive player. He's not lived up to what you'd expect from yeah. a top five pick. Jonathan Abram in the first round, bus coverage machine, oh my injury machine, just kind of a mess all around. Trayvon Mullen, probably their best pick of this bunch when you think of where he was drafted and how he's performed. Then this year, Damon Arnett in the first and Tanner Muse in the third. Tanner Muse at safety didn't has. Is Tanner Muse not even on this team? I think I think he got hurt preseason as he played or something like that. But you didn't give him a lot to work. Like no. their, their draft record has been pretty poor, and it's like kind of goes hand in hand with developing coaches, developing, putting him in position to succeed, and who you drafted. But that's not great. The one obviously guy I didn't mention who was a fourth round pick, Matt Crosby. That's probably been their like shining light of on the defensive side of the ball in those drafts who they picked, and Maurice Hurst fell to the fifth round back in 2018 kind of an afterthought there for them but he's probably been like i said one of their best defensive players as well but they just like they're swinging and missing a lot in the early rounds yeah. and that's where you need to you need to have high floor guy like you need to have competent starters on any first second third round pick that you're drafted and they had just so far have not had that yeah i mean even cleo furl and trayvon mullen maybe are developing now into like competent average starters in the nfl mm-hmm. but that's more than they could say about but jonathan abram and some of yes. these other guys it, it's been a huge concerns. I know that all of Raider Nation was calling for Paul Gunther's head even after last season. And to go into this year where they ranked 31st in EPA per play allowed, I think they've only allowed 
eight fewer touchdowns or eight fewer points than the Dallas Cowboys and as bad as they've been mm-hmm. there in Dallas. It, it, huge concerns for them. And they've thrown a ton of resource at the defense side of the ball. Yeah. This is a completely different defense than what the Raiders had in 2018. And I know that means losing Khalil Mack, et cetera, but they've tried to throw free agent resource and draft capital at this defense and call them misses from the front office. But I think a majority of the misses, again, are on the developmental side. I, I oh. do think that these players are not put in a position to succeed. And we also talked about this how they drafted guys, Trayvon Mull and Damon Ariette. They cut their teeth as press corners in college. Mm-hmm. That's what they did. That's not what Paul Garthur runs. Nope. They are an off-zone heavy team. They play a lot of quarters. They play a lot of split field stuff. That's not what these guys are. Yep. They, they are drafting like this is a – they would be better off running, you know, Seattle cover three than what they're running right now. Tough, tough. All right, let's jump to the mock draft now. It doesn't have to be all doom and gloom on Las Vegas Raiders. I still think there's that offense – some things are clicking offensively. Derek Carr is figuring it out with John Gruden. He's still not a perennial mm-hmm. top 10 quarterback, but I do think in that offense, he's figuring it out. And from a receiving core perspective, there's opportunities to improve. You can't have Nelson Aguilar being your top deep threat. You need Henry Ruggs to step up there. You need other guys to be healthy as well. But Darren Waller, that offensive line, Derek Carr, Brian Josh Edwards Jacobs, well. I, I do think there's some pieces there with John Gruden and Colin Plays for them to be a good offensive football team. The defense has been an unmitigated disaster since uh, Paul Gunther's really taken the reins. After... This year's training camp reports. I don't think we should ever believe any training camp reports ever again. After Brian Edwards is maybe the most hyped wide receiver in football. I forgot about that. After training camp. Remember that? Yeah. Like, and then uh, Tyrell Williams got hurt, and everyone's like, is Brian Edwards going to go for 1,000 yards? Done absolutely nothing. He can't even find the field. Justin Jefferson talked about as if, like, this guy doesn't know what, the, what a football is. Like, hasn't caught a pass all training camp, apparently, and now he's best rookie wide receiver. I mean, he might break I think the that rookie really receiving does not record. matter that yeah. first your first like i really have that that gets a lot of headlines because there's nothing else to talk about but i I think we need to downplay those more than we upplay those and guess what i'm going to be feeding into them this offseason i know yes i can't wait i can't wait for the trading court reports to come out all right let's jump into this mock draft here how we did this alternating gms we're doing this live on the podcast reacting as players get picked off the board you're going to start pick number one be the Jets GM through their two picks in the first round. I'll start with the Jags. And like I said, alternating GMs. Go ahead and kick us off. Let's move through these first three picks quickly. We know where we're going here. Wait, should we pause? Because the mock draft simulator is back up. Oh, the mock draft simulator is back up. Yeah. Should we pause? Okay, so pause right there. T- tell them about the mock draft simulator. Yeah. Tell the fans. Tell, the mock draft simulator on PFF.com is honestly one of the best pages on the site. It's completely free to use. You get to see you know, our big board rankings, our player grades, three-year player grades if you're an edge subscriber for every single player on the big board. That's top 200 players on PFS big board. And run through any mock drafts. You can run team trades. It, it's awesome. It's like, I mean, here's the thing. There are mock draft simulators everywhere. The Draft Network has one. Some other sites have them. But I really do think that PFS mock draft simulator also adds a ton of value in showing you grades, showing you big board rank. And as we get closer to the draft, we're going to add analysis to the mock draft simulator as well. So go to pff.com, pff.com slash mock, and run as many mock drafts as you want. You can run as many mock drafts as you want. It's a, it's a ton of fun there, and that's where we're doing this mock draft, actually, running the mock draft simulator through this thing. You starting with the Jets, the Jets GM, who are you taking at one? I will be taking Trevor Lawrence, quarterback, Clemson. Ever heard of him? <laughs> that's it? That's all? You know, oh, no that's analysis. my analysis. No um, analysis in addition to that? Yeah, Trevor Lawrence is going to hold out and ask for a trade, but uh, no, this is the easiest pick of the draft in my humble opinion i mean i don't see it going any other way and i I feel very similar about this one i think the jags at two are going justin fields out of ohio state some people are not happy with how justin fields has performed this year i saw like a tweet about it i am blown away justin fields is the number two quarterback in this class i don't think zach wilson competes yeah i'll i can get on board with that i could see zach wilson being the pick though when all said and done really and then i think three also an easy one for us Bengals on the clock we're not doing trades here if like you got if the Someone wanted to trade from four, five, six, somewhere in that range. I'd be willing. I think the Bengals should be willing to because mm-hmm. someone will be coming up for Zach Wilson. Uh, but I think Penny Sewell need value position ticks the box. I mean, every everybody I've talked to in Cincinnati wants Penny Sewell yeah. in a Bengals uniform next Except year. Me. They don't trade out of that number three spot. I think Panay Sewell makes the most sense. Except I think Quinn. What did Quinn, Quinn say? say? Not, not Panay Sewell. Quinn, Quinn doesn't want Panay Sewell. Uh, I think. I think shoehorning yourself into a pick at this point in the year at this point in the season Ooh. is how you end up with the billy prices of the world the john oh. actually i shouldn't say that that's that's not fair to penesel because he's not those guys but like when they've panicked in the past and they have that's when 
I think there's problems. So they should consider trading down. They should, there's like, I wouldn't mind Jamar Chase. For it to really be the Billy Price pick, that would, Penny Sewell would have to go too. Yeah. And then they'd have to scramble and draft Sam. Because that's what happened with Billy Price. The center went above him, I think it was what, Frank Ragnow? Yeah, Ragnow. And then then they were like, oh, we still need a center. Might as well grab Billy Price. Yeah. (laughs) That did not pan out. I think, to be honest, so I know we're not doing trades in the mock draft, but the Bengals picking at three, they are in the best spot to trade down, especially yeah. with the Cowboys sitting there at four, the Eagles there at nine. I mean, the Lions are in a pot. The I Falcons, the could, you know, like there are teams that, that are going to want a quarterback. The team that's like low key could be in the quarterback market, the Panthers, man. Yeah, like the Panthers too. It's a great, it's a great call. Number four, the Dallas Cowboys, if they are indeed picking at number four, I, I don't think this is close. Zach Wilson, quarterback at BYU, tag and trade Dak Prescott, give Zach Wilson to the Dallas Cowboys, put a rookie quarterback on this with a rookie contract on the Dallas Cowboys offense, and now actually you'll be able to afford some other pieces around him. They already have a lot of talent there. Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, offensive line went healthy. And defensively, as bad as they've been, I do think there's still some talent on that defensive side of the ball. They can get healthier there, maybe add some pieces in later rounds, maybe add some pieces in free agency with the money they save on Dak. Zach Wilson to Dallas at four. Yeah, so this one's a whole conversation, and we could spend forever on this. But the whole debate of, you know, best-case scenario drafting at four, you get a guy who's as good as Dak. And one, I think that eliminates the possibility of how good these prospects are. If, if it is a Zach Wilson, if it is a Justin Fields, it could be easily better than Zach. Mm-hmm. Dak. Like, coming out, they would have been considered, they're considered much, much better prospects Absolutely. than Dak. That's why they're getting drafted in the top five. But also, it ignores the whole fact that Dak's asking for $40 million a year. And what the kind of position that puts you in, especially now with the cap going the way it's going, down, that is, and all the money they have tied up to a bunch of guys, you're just hamstrung to where you're not going to be. And one, you haven't been a playoff roster mm-hmm. the past year and a half. And two, you're hamstrung to the point where like you're not going to continue to be one. You're not going to add any new talent to this roster. So, It's not as simple it, as Zach Wilson versus Dak Prescott. Yeah. It's Zach Wilson on a rookie contract versus Dak Prescott at $40, $40 million dollars per year. Yeah. And I, 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 wouldn't, I think Dak Prescott is the better quarterback in 2021 than Zach Wilson. However, yeah. it's about Zach Wilson and the future he has in Dallas and what you can do with that extra money you have in the yes. cap. All right, give me what you're doing with the Chargers. All right, I have the Chargers. Uh, you already took my tackle. This one could go a number of different ways. I'm going to go this way, though, because edge talent doesn't last long. I'm going to Pay to the Chargers. Melvin Ingram, last year of his deal may not resign i think he's 30 years old um just keep that strength of strength keep the defense good so much of me wants to go for the carolina panthers here at six jamar chase and just continue to light the world on fire there in carolina especially with you know robbie anderson what has only signed a two-year deal dj moore is going to have to make big money there uh curtis samuel has not been like that true number three that's been dominant for them you could add jamar chase put dj moore in the slot and then have Robbie Anderson outside, and then really take this offense to the next level, I'm going to go Michael Parsons. I think they're, they're looking for Luke Keekley's replacement. And they got Jeremy Chin has looked like a stud this year. Derek Brown has played better of late. Even Itor Gross Matos has played better than expected in some games this year. Add Michael Parsons to this defense. It's, it's a defense that desperately needs help from an athleticism standpoint, talent standpoint. Add Micah Parsons here. I know I want to get Jamar Chase. I know I want to get Jalen Waddell to really take the top of this offense, but I do think Micah Parsons is that generational linebacker prospect that can help that defense significantly, especially here picking at six. All right. We're going to get a little nuts at seven, and I like the Parsons pick at six. I think that with the way they run their defense, he'd be perfect. Um, Jamar Chase at seven to the Falcons. Yes. Yeah, they have Calvin Ridley. Yeah, they have Julio Jones. Julio Jones getting up there in age getting up there in terms of like just being healthy and in today's day and age three wide receivers see the field at once this would be the best receiving core in the nfl uh take that offense back to where it was when they went to the super bowl that sounds incredible stop throwing the ball to christian blake olamide Zacchaeus, and russell gage start throwing to jamar chase calvin ridley and as often as julio jones has been hurt late in his career I do think you need a Jamar Chase. I do think you need some depth there. As good as Julio Jones is, he simply has not played a ton of games of late. Like, I mean, that's just where he is in his career right now. I think Jamar Chase there at seven is hot. I don't think Falcons fans would love it, but I think it's fantastic. There at eight, Dolphins picking for the Houston Texans. Jalen Waddell. Tua Tungavailoa and Jalen Waddell are back at it again. I, I, like I said, I said this on a couple podcasts ago, a couple episodes ago. I think this Miami Dolphins receiving core, as hyped up as it is with Preston Williams and Devontae Parker, needs some juice. And Jakeem Grant's great. 
Eric Eager calls him a poor man's Tyree Kill. I don't know if he's doing drugs before that take. I don't know. But I do think adding Jalen Waddle here yeah. with Devontae Parker and some Preston Williams and the seven tight ends they throw to, Durham Smythe, Mike Kosicki, et cetera, I think th- this is a piece that I really like. And pairing him with Tua Tungvaluwa, adding some comfortability there. Yes, the ankle injury is a concern, but this guy has juice, I'd say, better than what Henry Ruggs put on table. You talked, We've talked about he has the straight line speed and the – the jitteriness, the mm-hmm. side to side, the agility that you love at that position. I think Jalen Waddle eight is where I'm going for Miami. Yeah, I like it. I can get on board with that. And I think he's probably a top 10 pick in this year's draft. Uh, I have the Eagles at number nine, and we're going to go cornerback because they've ignored it for far too long, even though they traded for Darius Slay. They're going to go Caleb Farley, the Virginia Tech opt out. He's the most physically, I'd say, gifted of these top cornerbacks in terms of size, speed, athleticism. Wish he would have played this year. Would feel better about it. But I think the tools are there, and I'm going to take a shot if I'm the Eagles. Number 10, the Giants. I'm going Devontae Smith. I've tweeted about Devontae Smith a handful of times. The number one fan base that you know replies or responds to these tweets is the Giants. And I remember very much so this time last year saying, hey, instead of an offensive tackle at four, what if we went after a receiver? What if we went after CeeDee Lamb, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy? Not Justin Jefferson. We weren't as high on him. But mm-hmm. now the same Giants team. It's like, man, we could really use a receiver, and I think this is the piece to do it. Devontae Smith of Alabama goes to the Giants here at 10. You have to continue to throw resources at the offensive side of the ball. I could see going after potentially a Sam Cosme here, the Texas offensive tackle, to continue to throw pieces at that offensive line because it's still not where they want it to be. But adding Devontae Smith with Darius Slayton, with Evan Ingram, continuing to try and give weapons to Daniel Jones, the the, the Buffalo Bills method of just throwing so many pieces at offense to try and get some weapons for their young quarterback. Devontae Smith of Alabama to the Giants is my pick. Yeah, uh, that receiving core needs like a number one receiver. They got a bunch of number twos and threes. So I can get on board with that. I got the Lions at number 11, and we're going to go third quarterback here. We're going to go Trey Lance right in front of your 49ers there because I think Lance and Sean McVay, Sean McVay would love to have him, but the Lions kind of get a bridge guy. Or they have Stafford. You can let Stafford work, but Stafford is not the Stafford of old. Like he looks kind of, he's kind of had like a mini Carson Wentz esque downturn in terms of just physically, like he's missing throws, not playing the same as he did in years past. So I'm going to go Trey Lance here as a developmental guy to sit on the bench for maybe a year, maybe two behind Stafford and transition in, in time. Man, that is tough. I wanted Trey Lance for the 49ers at 12. I think the 49ers at 12, if they're picking there and Trey Lance is on the board, I don't think he will be. I think Trey Lance ultimately probably goes top 10, teams trading up into the top 10 to grab him. But if the 49ers are sitting there at 12, I don't think Kyle Shanahan waits a second to get Trey Lance in the building, even if he doesn't play in year one, even if he plays behind Jimmy Garoppolo and company in year one. I do think adding Trey Lance would be an awesome piece for this 49ers team. Do you think um, they'd be willing to go somewhere like a Mac Jones or a Kyle Trask? Then? See, I, I'm thinking that myself. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at Kyle Trask, you know, a 24th on our board. You have Mac Jones 29th on our board. Do I reach for a quarterback here? Reaching for a quarterback, I think, honestly doesn't exist. You know, When you have quarterbacks with yeah. first-round potential like Trask and Mac Jones, these ceilings that these two dudes have, maybe it makes sense. The only thing that's giving me pause, I think Shanahan wants a mobile QB. Shanahan wants a guy that can move and, and add yeah. to that offense, add to that rushing yeah. floor where other teams are finding success. Trask and Jones are both not – that mobile. I think Trey Lance would have been the pick for me. Damn you, taking him to the Ouch. Detroit Lions. Now, I'm, I'm kind of lost here. I kind of want to add to the offensive line. Mike McGlinchey has regressed since his rookie season, and I think they do still need help on the interior. You know, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go Sam Cosme of Texas going to the San Francisco 49ers, continue to add to that offensive line. Okay. A major piece for them as they continue to try and win with Jimmy Garoppolo. Because winning with Jimmy Garoppolo means winning in the trenches and running the football with success with Raheem Mostert and whatever random running back they have there. I'm going Sam Cosme, the Texas offensive tackle to the Niners. Yeah, I think he's a good fit for them. Uh, Athletic. Yeah, with his athleticism. All right, I have the Broncos at 13. I think they're set at wide receiver. There's still some good wide receivers on the board here. I'm going to look more to the defensive side of the ball, where I think they'd love to have Patrick Sertain oh. in there, the Alabama cornerback. You're, you're, you're taking my – I was going to go him to the Vikings. I thought Vikings would have been a nice fit yeah. for Patrick Sertan there, but uh, that's pretty sweet going to the Broncos. I mean, they're going to continue to add an outside corner. Bryce Callahan has been, what, their best corner, playing yeah. mostly in the slot, or he's been playing some outside as well. But, but A.J. Boy, I think, has gone after this year, um, or as at least a free agent. And then you have Michael Ojemudi has been up and down, but not enough for me to like say he's for sure my starter in the coming years. All right, Minnesota Vikings here at 14. I'm going Gregory Rousseau. 
the toolsy, athletic, long edge defender for the University of Miami that opted out this season, due in large part to his mom was a nurse, did not want to put anyone in harm's way with COVID-19, I think rightfully so. But they love length there in Minnesota. Daniil Hunter missed this entire season due to injury. I think they want to add. I mean, this pass rush is bad. Absolutely terrible without Daniil Hunter. I think adding Gregory Rousseau here, making a, stre- I mean, adding, making a strength to strength, that defense is already very good with the talent they have there. But I think Gregory Rousseau at 14, I'm more comfortable with him outside the top 10 than maybe some others are because so much development is needed for his game. But there at 14, I think he's a steal. Yeah, I, I, and it obviously fits, like you said, the mold they like on the edge. At number 15, Chicago Bears. They Not need another tight pick, end. But I'm going to go Christian Derisaw, offensive tackle, Virginia Tech, one of the biggest risers this year, one of the highest grade tackles in America. Athletic, can start at guard if they want him to. I, I just think they need reinforcements along that offensive line. Every part of me this one in for the here. New England Patriots at 16 makes me want to go Kyle Pitts. Give him a tight end. Give Bill Belichick what he loved to have back in the day. I'm going to different Kyle. I'm going Kyle Trask. There at 16, maybe a bit of a reach there. He's 24th on PFS board, but they need help at the quarterback position. You can't go into next season with Cam Newton with what he's done so far this year. He's had some successes, specifically rushing the football and early in the season, but just not the same passer he was. And I think to take this offense to the next level, yes, it needs weapons. You can't just roll out Nikhil Harry and a 38-year-old Jalen Edelman and expect to have success offensively, but... It starts at the quarterback position. Finding your guy under center is so important. I don't have to tell you that. I don't have to tell the NFL that. I think Kyle Trask there at 16, I'd be surprised if he lasts this long in in April's draft because of the value of the quarterback position. But if the Patriots don't have to trade up for him and can stay put at 16 to get Kyle Trask, I think they swing the bat. I can see it. I definitely can. And the need, you can't argue with. It will be interesting to see if they do address it because they're not going to be – or make a move to go up and get a guy in this year's draft. Cause like I said, they're not going to be in a position for one of those top three or four mm-hmm. when all said and done, but obviously they still need one. All right. Raiders at 17. We'll go linebacker here, even though you hope Corey Littleton turns things around and Nick Kwiatkowski's actually been not bad. Jeremiah Usukuramo though from Notre Dame, a different player than both of those guys in terms of his versatility, hybrid nature. Like he's a better He's a better coverage player at linebacker. Like he's a, he'd be a better safety than Jonathan Abram right now in terms of what he brings wow. to the table coverage perspective. I almost sent this tweet out, by the way. I sent out something on Jonathan Abram saying about his coverage bust this season. I almost replied, reminds me a lot of a Tahir Whitehead, a hard-hitting Tahir Whitehead, which I know Raiders fans yeah, love, love near and dear. I'm going to do something a little crazy. Baltimore Ravens here at 18. And I know Ravens fans will probably hate me for this. Most of the NFL will probably hate me for this. Let's strengthen his strength. Let's add Kyle Pitts. To the Ravens offense. Like to run two tight end sets. The, yeah, yeah. the receiving core that they do have, trotting out Willie Sneed, Miles Boykin, and Marquise Brown just hasn't got it done. Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts owning the middle of the football field. Those two tight end sets where you can run heavy with Lamar Jackson and then have Boykin, a combination of Boykin and Sneed outside, and then Marquise Brown in entering year three. That offense gets that much more explosive. That's more, more versatile. Kyle Pitts barely even plays tight end at Florida. Like to call him a tight end, I think it's rich. He plays mm-hmm. in the slot, plays outside. You could do a lot of things with him. I think that would be an awesome, awesome sight to see there in Baltimore. Yeah, and I think they could make it work. Like they get their tight ends. They're not inline blockers necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like they, they want good blockers, but they get them out moving in space a lot of times. Like you don't, you don't have to be your six. You don't have to be Rob Gronkowski in one-on-one against a DN to block effectively in that scheme. So I do think they could make Kyle Pitts work. If anyone, this is a decision here. I got the Washington football team at 19. They've played their way out of the quarterback class if they're mm-hmm. picking 19th, unfortunately for them. Like, they obviously still need a quarterback considering who they've got in there and that they're pretty much giving up on Dwayne Haskins at this point, even though he led them to that big win this past week. <laughs> uh, joking, obviously, he looked awful. Um so they could use wide receiver, could use offensive line help. They could also just make that defense, you know, incredibly strong if you go somewhere, uh, stay in that front seven or that secondary. I think I'm going to go, though, highest, best player available, true to the board, we go Rashad Bateman for them. Give you two complete route runners in him, Terry McLaurin. I think that would be the makings of a very good receiving core for whoever does. They, they have to add to that receiving core. It can't yeah. just be Terry McLaurin and the Sims brothers. I don't think they're brothers, but you got Cam and Steven Sims there. And they've played well. Mm-hmm. They've played well of late. And Logan Thomas has even showed up at tight end for them. But adding Rashad Bateman, a legitimate piece to them out of Minnesota, I think is great. I'm sticking to our board as well here. I'm going Cardinals 
at 20 grabbing Rondell Moore of Purdue. I'd love to see that. What Andy Isabella wanted. has not Andy panned Isabella out for Arizona. He's not, he's not getting the snaps that you expected to see. And DeAndre Hopkins' route tree, I saw that next-gen stats chart. I don't know if you've seen what he's been running over there. So many outs, so many hitches. Give those to Rondell Moore. Let that guy hit eat after the catch. Let's yeah. push DeAndre Hopkins downfield. Let's run more vertical routes with DeAndre Hopkins in 2021. I think – and I, I, Cliff Kingsbury, we've had this conversation before, a bit overrated. You have to hope if you give him Rondell Moore, he can find ways yeah. to get him the football and have some fun because they run a ton of screens there, specifically wide receiver screens. Rondell Moore is a legitimate yak machine. Give him to Car- give him to Kyler Murray, give him to Arizona, and let's see him cook. Mm-hmm. I'm back-to-back picks back here because the J- Dolphins are picking again here at 21, and I'm sticking true to the board again. Highest-ranked player on our board right now, 19th overall, Elijah Vera Tucker. USC offensive tackle, likely plays guard in the NFL. That Dolphins offensive line is still atrocious. They're not able to run the concepts they want to run, the longer developing plays with Tua Tungvaluwa because of how bad that offensive line has been. With Saul McKinley, Austin Jackson, so much use already, but you need to keep throwing resources at the offensive line. I'm not against them adding more resources in free agency as well, but if you have Elijah Vera Tucker there, highest ranked player on our board right now, going to the Dolphins at 21, I like that a lot. Yeah, you just can't bank on... I mean, they haven't been unmitigated disasters, the rookies up front, but you have three rookies who have none of them in Austin Jackson, Solomon Kinley, Robert Hunt, been like competent quality stars yet. Mm-hmm. You, you can't bank on that just turning around. You have to keep throwing resources, like you said, Elijah Vera You know Tucker, who beat Kinley pretty bad this week? Better prospect than any of those guys coming out. You know who beat Kinley pretty bad this week on a couple of snaps? Tershawn yep. Wharton. Ooh, yeah, Trishon. I don't know. I don't the, know if, we highlighted dude, that matchup. Do you remember that? I, I don't know if you like that matchup or not, but I mean, he was beating him early in the snap. It, yeah. that, those were some fun reps from Wharton. All right. We have the Tampa Bay Bucks on the clock here. I got a little decision in my hand because they don't really have much in the way of needs. Like, mm-hmm. It's a fairly complete roster, really young secondary, young line, good linebacking core, like young linebacking core. I think defensive line is probably, if you could say one need, like some depth in terms of pass rushes there. So I'm going to go ahead and throw Jason Owe at them. Developmental pass rusher. They obviously only have Shaquille Barrett on the franchise tag right now. No no sort of sure thing that he'll be back next year. So we'll go Jason Owe. Although I will say I considered Mac Jones, stylistically a similar quarterback to Tom Brady. Yeah. Getting to le- go there, learn behind Brady for a year before eventually being the heir apparent. Could, could be an option for them if they really do – you know, get deep into the playoffs this year. I would think about that if I'm the Bucks for sure. And you have back-to-back picks here. Now I have back-to-back picks now. I have the Colts at 23. I've said this all along. This guy's a perfect fit for them. God damn it. Tyson Campbell, Georgia cornerback. He literally had a pick in cover two, which is their preferred defensive choice there in Indianapolis this past weekend. Xavier Rhodes on only a one-year deal will be a free agent after this season. So Tyson Campbell goes to the Colts at 23. I like that. I like that yep. a lot. I think I'm going to go offensive tackle for the Tennessee Titans here at 24. They were starting Scott Questenberry, I think, at left or right tackle this past week. I don't know who I was watching. Oh, it was uh, Kelly Von Chason. Had the best game of his career. I was like, oh, man, let's see yeah. it. Dude was just putting Questenberry in a blender. It, it was bad. I think they need help on offensive tackle. Losing Jack Conklin was bigger for them than they thought. And getting Alex Leatherwood, one of the smoothest moving offensive tackles in this class, a true athletic freak coming out of Alabama at 24. Yeah. I like that a lot. And maybe Isaiah Wilson does pan out for them. I know they just invested in offensive tackle, but I think you still have to throw resources at that position. You rarely see guys pan out early on in their careers. I think Leatherwood at tackle is a great one. I can dig it. All right, Jets at 25 is uh, me. First top, first pick, I went Trevor Lawrence. Now, you have to consider some sort of uh, aspect of positional scarcity here if you're the Jets. They have a ton of needs. But where are you going to get a position – uh, that you're not going to find later. A lot of time, edge talent you find is edge talent is easy to identify those athletes, and they go early in the draft. You don't want to be drafting a lot of edges in the third round. Just not a lot of them pan out. Whereas interior offensive line, which would be another need for them, I would think someone like Wyatt Davis or Rishon Slater they'd love to have here. But you can find that guy. You can find a competent guy in that regard in the third round. So I don't think I'm going to go interior offensive line for them. I think I'm going to address one of the needs that might be a little bit more difficult to do later on i'm gonna go carlos basham the edge defender out of wake forest bit of a down year but he's still a freak obviously he's number two on bruce Hill's freaks list big explosive dude don't know who their dc is going to be next year obviously that's in flux but if i think carlos basham can is versatile enough that he can you know play maybe three or five technique in your defense if need be jacksonville jaguars at 26 
We're getting Darion Kendrick, Clemson cornerback, adding, you know, speaking yeah. to positional scarcity, you're not going to add a ton of talented outside cornerbacks after day one. I think adding him alongside, continue to throw at that defense, man. It's a young defense. I think right now they rank second in the NFL in snaps played by first and second year players, but I do think they have to continue to throw resources at that defense. Obviously, at number two, I went Justin Fields. I feel confident. In LaVisca Chenault Jr., maybe DJ Chark continuing to have success offensively. I still think they need to throw resources there, maybe add a free agent wide receiver in what is a very good free agent receiver class. There's a lot of good receivers entering free agency this offseason, but where I'm at on the board, who's available, I think I'm going to go Darion Kendrick at 26. They really did not give a shit about their other quarterback position this year. They came up no. with no plan whatsoever. It's been Luke Barku, undrafted free agent yeah. at San Diego Street. State. Uh, I think this is an upgrade. Yeah, so I will go Browns 27 they need a linebacker. Mm-hmm. They, you're not rolling in with Rashad Evans again. Not Rashad Evans, the other Alabama guy who I'm blanking on right now. That Mac Holland. Nope. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, I know who you're Mac talking Wilson. about. What Jesus the hell is that? took too long. Yeah. Mac Wilson. <laughs> All right. Fifth round. Uh, I'm going to go Nick Bolton, mm-hmm. Missouri linebacker. To me, one of the highest floor linebackers in this class because he's he's not a freak athlete, but he's more than athletic enough. He's just sees the game well, takes on blocks well. Yeah, he doesn't have the length. He doesn't tick the ton of the high-end boxes that you usually want, but I think that's why you're going to get a good player later on in the draft and why I'd love him if I get him at the Browns at 27, just because he does all the other things about playing linebacker position very well. I think a lot of draft Twitter is going to fall in love with Nick Bolton. Mm. He's, his highlight reel is insane. His hits, man. He is he's just, a rock. He's a monster. He, he yeah. hits hard, and I think that's what a lot of people like when they're turning on film. 28 year, I think the Buffalo Bills, he, he's fallen down the board enough. I think he ranks, what, inside you know, 21, 22 on PFF's board right now. Sean Wade, the Ohio State cornerback. I wrote about earlier in the year that if you know Big Ten doesn't play another snap, he would be one of the lowest, you know, he would be one of the few corners that's not played outside corner a ton in college that gets drafted in the first round. I think here at 28 in the buff with Sean McDermott and where there's already a ton of outside corner talent, I think you could groom him and develop him into being that outside cornerback that he can be he can be in the NFL with proper experience. If not, I really like him as a box player. I really like him in the slot. He's aggressive. He tackles well. And I don't think you, they said this on the broadcast last night. Slot cornerbacks start in the NFL. You have to have a damn good one. I think Sean Wade's floor is a damn good slot cornerback in the NFL. I like the fit, too, going to Buffalo. I think that makes sense for him. All right, the Packers on the clock, 29. Mac Jones. I would love to go wide receiver here. I really would. But I'd also love to go with this guy because he's so much fun. Oh, buddy. And he's going linebacker, Zayvon Collins of Tulsa, going to the Green Bay Packers. He's just a monster, and they need inside linebacker desperately. Mm-hmm. Like, they play dime every snap because their safeties that they have are just as good in run defense as the linebackers. Like, they're just so bad at that position right now. I think Zayvon Collins is the do-it-all guy that they kind of have been missing in the middle of that defense. I'd be really surprised if he goes in the first round. I, I think he's been a fantastic player there at the collegiate level. I, I still think he's a developmental piece. You kind of have to find a role for him in the NFL. But for the Packers, I mean, he plays with his hair on fire. It'd yeah. be a good change of pace to see that linebacker for the Green Bay Packers here. I don't think this is how the draft pans out. I, I think the quarterback position in today's NFL is valued too much for a guy of Mac Jones caliber to really fall here. I think teams are going to be trading up to grab him. But mm-hmm. we're going from Big Ben to Big Mac. Mac Jones of Alabama going to Pittsburgh. Ben Rossberg after this past week's game is talking about if I can't play well, I'm hanging him up. Like, I, th- that's where he is right now. And I know he says that, what, every year? Say, but still... Was that a quote from 2014 or something? Let, let's, let's, let's talk about it. Big yeah. Ben has not played well this year. I would not call him a top 12 quarterback in the NFL right now. Yeah. Maybe not even 12, top, top 15. That's he's, been a struggle. It's th- been, he's not airing it out like he used to. They don't target the deep parts of the field. It's a very dink and dunk offense. Bring in Mac Jones, legitimate talent to throw downfield, one of the best vertical throwers in college football right now. As a developmental piece, if Big Ben's willing to stick around, and if not, put him in as a starter. Well, everyone, everyone's talking about the elbow injury heading yeah. into the season. And then they were winning games, and no one's kept talking about it. But he has not had the juice on his throws when he does not you know, get a clean step and can put everything into it. Like the arm talent, just the simple like that stuff he used to do from the pocket where he's just like pump in and they can just throw it from any angle. It's not there. Like it's not there like it used to be. And that's why, like I said, it's not a top 12 quarterback. And that's why we caught a lot of ships saying that. But I think we've seen the past two weeks that just like when he has to really put it on his arm and go down the field, it's not the same yep. as what it like the big Ben of old. So I, I do think they do need to address it as well. I got the Saints at 31. We're going to go a little off the beaten path here. We're going to go Kadarius Tony. Oh, from my Florida, goodness. Going to New Orleans to pair Sean Payton. He loves the gadgets. 
he give him as many as humanly possible. He's almost as athletic as Taysom Hill. And no, yeah, like, this is those two in the backfield with Alvin Kamara, those three in the backfield. You run the triple option like that. That is, <laughs> that could be your offense in next year if you're Sean Payton because of how dynamic Kadarius Tony is. Like that guy is a freak of nature in terms of some of the things he can do. The closest thing I've seen to Dante Hall. I mean, closest going. thing I've seen since Percy Harvin. I, yeah. he, he is like legit insane. I put in my notes where we're going to talk about prospect performances after this mock draft, but like, dude's slippery as hell. Like, he, he is jittery with the ball in his hand. I think Percy Harvin's biggest strength was his acceleration. I think he accelerates a little bit better than Tony, but in terms of just pure elusiveness and balance, Tony might be a little bit better. That's just absurd. That's a- All right, 32. I'm going uh, another running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. No, just kidding. <laughs> That's not the missing piece. I'm going to Sante Samuel Jr., who can immediately step in and play slot corner for this Kansas City Chiefs team. They've struggled at corner. You know, they, they've struggled to allocate proper resources at corner. Ever since they lost, really, Steven Nelson, they've had Charvarius Ward. Um, obviously, Jerry Seed has played well for them at outside corner. But Asante Samuel Jr., I think, can come in and immediately play in the slot for the Kansas City Chiefs, let Tyron Matthew be that rat in, in, in other defenses. But with Asante Samuel Jr., too, I think, yes, the size is a concern. But I think this guy could ball out at outside corner. He's undersized. I get it. But, like, I do think he has that versatility, those instincts. Obviously, his dad played in the NFL. It's crazy that mm-hmm. like, I watched Asante Samuel Sr. play. I'm getting to that age where like I'm watching their dads play. I mean, Frank Gore Jr. is playing for yeah. Southern Miss. It's it's wild to see. But Asante Samuel Jr., the 32, not Travis Etienne, not the final missing piece at running back. Mm. Add to that defense, add a cornerback here. I like that pick. I can dig it. I, I would maybe go, if I were them, maybe just like solidify that interior offensive line. Really can't be getting... Wyatt Davis? Someone like Wyatt Davis, Rayshon Slater. Like, get, don't be getting Mahomes hurt. Do a little bit of investing in that regard. But... Sean Samuel Jr. is a talented dude. Yeah. There you have it. 32 teams. The all 32 teams mock draft brought to you by PFF's mock draft simulator. Go to pff.com slash mock to run as many mock drafts as you want. You can spend two days on the damn thing. Mocking for different teams, trading between teams. I hate right now the no way crowd. And we'll get into this during draft season. No way he makes it there. I just, I just can't handle the no way crowd. No way he falls to 10. No way he falls to 20. No one knows anything right now. No one knows absolutely anything about draft order, where players are going to be picked. Like, you are largely projecting players that you really like where you're thinking they're going right now. It's not until after the combine to really start to see where we think draft order is going to shake out. and what, Not draft order, but where we think these guys are going to start to fall. So the no-way crowd when you're running mock drafts, throw it out the window. Mock who you want, get who you want, and let's, and let's add some talent to your favorite teams. All right, only, we only got a handful of minutes left here on the pod. We got to make sure we get to this. The Rolling Rooks and Raise the Glass segment where we highlight our top rookies mm-hmm. and top um, prospect performances. And then after that, we got the Tristan Wurst interview. There's still a lot to go on here on the pod. Yeah. It's, it's, it's never ending here. Never ending. All right. Let's go ahead and start with the Rolling Rooks. Um, who's your number one rookie from this past week? Chase Young, man. Scoop score, Tuddy. One-handed. You got to mention that. Yeah. One-handed. Look just ridiculous. That, that duo of him and Montez Sweat, when they line up across each other, that's about as physically... You know, the coming off the bus thing, they look ridiculous. Like, those guys, that's about, that's an all-time sort of duo right there in terms of physically what they bring to the table. Chase Young, obviously, you know, he didn't do too much damage as pass rusher against, like, Trent Williams, but he made his presence felt, certainly, in the run game. And, you know, chasing down plays, high-effort plays. The dude's got a high motor for as talented a player as he is, too. That, That didn't really get talked about a lot in the draft process, but he certainly does. Him chasing down runs on the backside and just yeah. absolutely lighting people up is incredible. Like Fun I think watch. the motor is underrated. I think I love the Mike Tomlin quote that's been going around. Like I don't want to lose as many games as it takes to get a player like you of your yeah. stature, of your caliber, and like you see it. People who look just at the box score don't see the impact that Chase Young's having. But like because he was so dominant at Ohio State against the pass, and they were going against teams that were largely down thirty within the first ten minutes, you didn't see him play the run a ton. He's playing the run for Washington now, and he looks awesome. Even beating Trent Williams at the point of the attack on a handful of runs. He didn't win every block. There were some times where he got beat to the edge, but really did like him coming off the backside. And even holding the edge against Trent Williams had a handful of wins there. Dude's a stud, man. And he's another thing I added here in these notes, he's winning as a pass rusher without really a complex set of moves. He's just still physically dominant. Like, he just is just a better football player it's than a lot like, of the guys he's like going Miles against. Garrett didn't hit the ground running, but you saw him as a rookie, and you're like, Soon, like Yikes. soon, it's going to happen. Like you know, so I, I, I said this to the social media guys, but um, the like he right now Chase Young, if the season ended today, he'd have the seventh highest graded season by an edge defender 
by a rookie edge defender in the PFF era dating back to 2006. Yeah. The guys above him are Alden Smith, Von Miller, Khalil Mack, both Bosos, Miles Garrett, and I want to say Chase Young's right after that. Like, that's how good. If you show up as a rookie like Chase Young is right now and he still has a few more games to add to his total, I mean, you just have to feel really confident about where this guy's going. Yeah, and you had to feel that when you drafted him. Number two yeah, overall, I mean, <laughs> you watched him at all in college. So that's how he felt. Tristan Worse. Tristan Worse at number two. Yeah. We cut, so before the pod on Friday, we were, we were looking at the fifth highest ranked uh, right tackle in the NFL going in. We're just doing some prep. And I'm like, I wonder who, you know, schedule going forward, wonder where he finishes up at. He's got, he had the Vikings, who he played this past week, Falcons twice, and the Lions. I'm like, this guy's going to end up the highest grade tackle in the NFL. He's got the four easiest, ma- like, four of the easiest matchups you'll see for any tackle. And obviously in this one against Minnesota, 86.1 overall grade, doesn't allow a single pressure. He was when he, when you're as advertised against guys like Cameron Jordan, Brian Burns, you dominate the guys like whoever the hell in Minnesota is throwing out. Cam, the DJ Wanham, you dominate the DJ Wanhams of the world. So Tristan Wirfs, you know, exceptional performance. He is an elite right tackle. Great way to tease the interview, matches. Tristan. You come on the podcast and then you, on Friday and then on Sunday just dominate to win yeah. one of the. I think he was the highest graded rookie offensive rookie this past week. And I pulled these numbers: highest graded rookie right tackles since '06. Marshall Yonda, 2007, Ryan Ramchek in 2017, Jeff Ota, 2008, and then Tristan Wirfs in 2020. And it's a crime still- that they didn't keep Yonda at tackle. Yeah, absolutely. He would have been crime. a Hall of Famer. Still should be, but he would have been. Like, it was like, uh, I bet Zach Martin never needed to actually play guard. He probably could have stayed at tackle. All right, number three, Jonathan Taylor, highest graded running back in the NFL since week 11. That's how good Jonathan Taylor has been ever since you had we that, that we- take about him, like, looking confused. And he was. Let's, not, let's call it what it is. Jonathan Taylor wasn't playing well before this. He has found his confidence after the bye, even before the bye week 11 was before his bye week. But then after the bye, this dude's been just a different animal, an absolute different animal for the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, you saw the speed in the open field in this one with that long run. And he's breaking tackles. I think they're doing a better job of realizing that like he needs – he's not a pure – like one, he's not good on – shotgun runs like he's like the vision the patience was, was different from he just didn't do it at wisconsin hasn't been good at it and he needs a reminds little me more a lot space. of you saw you saw him get him out wide those were the outside zone runs is where he really thrived getting outside the tackles is where he thrived at wisconsin not your kind of like almost counterintuitively not your between the tackles bruiser he's a one-cut guy so uh i think they've been taking advantage of that better and 150 yards this past week on 20 carries nine broken tackles lights out Dude, and, and, okay, it was against the Raiders defense, who's been atrocious this year. That but helps. even if you turn on the tape, you see him just like – there's a couple of runs where it's like, oh, my God, he, you could have fit like 14 Jonathan Taylors through that hole. But there's also a handful of other ones where dude's making people miss uh, really nicely. Uh, number four, K.J. Hamler, two touchdowns. I think only two receptions. Did he have any yep, more receptions? Two receptions. But- and both roasting over an open fire. Play the Christmas music, Quinn. Chestnuts roasting over an open fire. It was Russell Douglas getting absolutely cooked. KJ Hamler over the top for two touchdowns. Yeah, that Razul Douglas one, the the straight go route, was some of the worst cornerback plays. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> straight up, KJ Hamler ran a straight line, straight release. Razul Douglas just fell all over himself. That's why uh, he's on his second team already. Um, but he was getting burnt. That's yeah. the problem. Uh, and KJ Hamler, though the speed, speed still plays at the NFL level, and didn't drop a pass, which. Always good to see because he all right, he still does have six drops on 35 attempts this year, which we said coming out, we're like, drops are going to be an issue. Yeah. They're not to Deontay Johnson level, but the close. Oh, man, poor Deontay Johnson. Dude has 12 drops this year, more than any receiver in the NFL. Uh, raising a glass. Oh, no, one more. If, if we almost forget about this guy because he played on Thursday. Yeah. The Cam Akers, you know, lit it up on Thursday night. He played really well. I mean, you loved Cam Akers coming out of Florida State. I said that stat a thousand times, but no running back was contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage on a higher percentage of his carries than Cam Akers. The dude was playing behind an atrocious offensive line. Finally freed behind an NFL caliber offensive line, and now given the snap share there in Los Angeles, dude's balling out. Yeah, in terms of just like if there's one running back in this past year's class that just has the ball in space, like and one guy trying to tackle him, I think I would trust Cam Akers to break that tackle, to make that guy miss more than any other guy in this class. Maybe Antonio Gibson was up there, but we didn't see it enough. Like I think Cam Akers, just in terms of dynamism, was the most dynamic. But then that's only part of the sort of part of what makes a good running back. You still have to run within structure. Uh, and I think we saw the lot, saw that well. 29 carries, 171 yards. I thought we saw him do that this past week uh, against New England. 
All right, moving to our Raise a Glass segment here, and then, of course, we go to our Tristan Wirfs interview. It's going to be starting with the UNC backs, oh. who combined for the most rushing yards in a single game by a running back duo of any college football team, I think in history. I think is what the stat was. Michael Carter and Javante Williams, two guys that are forcing missed tackles at an absolutely absurd rate, but you have to bring this up. The Miami safety play. The Miami second-level play, linebackers and safeties, was honestly some of the worst I've ever seen. They were getting absolutely destroyed. They, I, I've never seen as bad of, like, truck sticks and angles. It was just sloppy, sloppy. It was burn-the-tape film yeah. for Miami of Florida against UNC's Michael Carter and Javante Williams. I mean, that one Javante Williams run where he just, like— Ends is, the dude. Yeah, is running, like, high. On, like, it's just in a straight line. Lower, barely lowers the shoulder, and the safety just, like— I don't know what he was doing. Dude, collapsed like a Jenga block. It was just, it was awful. It was brutal, but they both averaged over 10 yards a carry, I think. Just broke tackles left and right, 11 for Javante Williams. Just, I mean, that was, that was pretty ridiculous. Uh, They are both, Javante Williams now is a running back two. Michael Carter, I want to say it's running back five or six for us. They're both real deal. They're not making it out of day two, both those prospects. I'd I'd guess Javante Williams could be early day, early day two. Man, that, that, I imagine what it's like in the huddle when you're having a game like that, when you and your boy are having a game like that. Oh, you're yeah. just laughing, like literally laughing in the huddle. Oh, another run play. Oh, my God, we just got another 10 yards, whether it's Carter or Williams. That's wild. That's got to be tough mm-hmm. for Miami of Florida there. All right, Kadarius Tony is our number two uh, raise a glass here. I mean, he continues to look really, really good. Oh, and even though Florida lost that game thanks to Marco Wilson hucking that shoe, I do think Kadarius Tony was a standout performer in that game. Definitely a poor one out. Blackout, it's whatever blackout. you want to call it, for Marco Wilson. <laughs> Did you see the quote from Dan Mullen? Yeah. Saying it was, it was like it was move. in the football a, move? I think what he was trying to say was that the shoe got into his hand in a football move. And then he's like, oh, we threw it or whatever. Which, in basketball, when a guy throws, like, they throw, guy loses a shoe, like, you throw it off the court. That's, like, a typical thing that happens in basketball. Now, you don't huck it like that. That was That's because there's no breaks in basketball. Yeah. That was because you don't want to step on the shoe and roll an ankle. But in football, there's a big ass break between plays where you can, or you can even hand the shoe to the guy. But he launches it in such a clutch moment. That was tough, dude. That was real tough. And I hated the broadcast team just continuing to show that guy on the bench, dude. Cut him a break. I mean, he's obviously in a pit of misery. Marco Wilson was the same guy. This is not new. This is not unfound territory for Wilson. He was the same guy who had the pass interference last year against, I believe it was Miami, in the first week of the season, or I guess it was week zero when it was like a fourth and 30 or fourth and like 20 something and the, and the target was like 10 yards short of the sticks and he commits a pi one of the worst pis i've ever seen because of that so this is not the boneheadedness is, is not for marco new. wilson that, that is kind of his mo at this point but Kadarius tony career day i mean 182 yards nine catches 56 more yards on the ground as a runner and i think only three carries he had some broken tackles in that game that no one else college football could do like I've not seen some of the moves he put on guys like he he had a, a run play where he was making his next move while he was still being tackled like he's making a tackle he's making a spin move to break a second tackle as he's still kind of in the grasp on the first tackle it, it, the guy just moves at a different level and has a different sort of balance than anyone else in college football I do think he ends up in the first round I think someone's going to see that skill set even though he's not a polished wide receiver, there's still some serious, you know, like the reason he only, he only has 182, 124 yards on the season. is not really a featured guy in that offense necessarily because he's not, like I said, much of a wide out. But I just think someone's going to see that level of explosiveness, elusiveness, just game-breaking-ness, if that's a word. It's not. And want him in the first round. I think I think late first round, early round two. I, I do think that he has that dynamism that teams are going to latch onto in the top, you know, forty picks wherever mm-hmm. he ends up. Uh, Jabril Cox, linebacker, playing kind of, uh, uh, yeah, linebacker for the LSU, coming off his second highest graded game of the season, a seventy nine point one PFF grade in that upset win over Florida. Also got after the passer, four total pressures in this one. Had um, had a really good day, two two pass breakups as well. Jabril Cox uh, coming, you know, he was the transfer from what North Dakota State, I think is yes. what it was. Has had an up-and-down season, hasn't graded like extremely well, but in coverage, an 83.2 grade, nine total pressures on the year. That Those are numbers that you like to see from a guy who's just transferred from North Dakota State to the SEC. Yeah, and he had a play in this game where he's uh, forced to cover Trayvon Grimes, one of their top wide receivers for Florida, in the slot as he goes on a vertical kind of over route. 
and he sticks with them, made a pass breakup on it. That's what you need to see. That's what you're going to be asked to do in the NFL level nowadays at the linebacker position. You're going to have to do that. And if you can't, it's not going to go high in the draft. Jabril Cox has that ability. Now, I'm not sure. No, he's not going to be Patrick Queen level of that ability. He's not near that. Like, I don't think he's near a first rounder, but I think this guy's fairly firmly in the day two mix. Like I said, had a good game on Saturday. Last one here before we jump to the Tristan Wirfs interview. Uh, Maryland edge defender Darrell Nachami. Uh, he's only played, what, three games this year? The past two games, he's played over 30 defensive snaps. But against Rutgers here, a 94.6 PFF grade, a 95.0 pass rushing grade. These are Chase Young numbers here. Eight total pressures, four sacks. Absolutely a monster game for Nachami. I was say, talk about coming out of nowhere. This guy played 221 snaps as a freshman in 2018. Only 66.7 overall grade. It's actually not terrible for a freshman. Gets hurt 2019. Doesn't play. Hurt early on the season. Hasn't played. Only plays four snaps against Northwestern. Uh, and then finally gets a start. Finally healthy again. Starts against Indiana only a few weeks ago. Only played four snaps in the season. Six pressures against Indiana. 83.4 pass rushing grade. Eight pressures this past week against Rutgers. 95.0 pass rushing grade. Size, length, ridiculous bend around the edge. I don't know. Had heard nothing about this guy, obviously, beforehand because of all the injuries. Because of the fact that he really hadn't even played but this looks like he's, I don't think he's going to get enough tape to play, but he looks like a legit, like, top 100 type of prospect that I hadn't Damn. even seen before, heard of before. I, I, I got to be honest with you, I haven't seen him either. I need, I need to dive into the yeah. Chami here. He's, he's turning it on. Like I said, eight pressures, four sacks, and three forced fumbles this past week. It's against Rutgers, but still, I'm interested. Dominant. Yeah, like, absolutely interested. All right, that's going to do it for the main slate here of the 2 for 1 Drafts Monday episode. Let's go ahead, Mike, and jump into our interview with Tampa Bay rookie, Tampa Bay rookie offensive tackle Tristan Worse. Two Foreign Drafts is brought to you by pristineauction.com. Check out their daily auctions with $1 starting bids on over 8,000 football items up for auction. Signed helmets, balls, jerseys, and much more. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. Use code PFF for $10 off your first invoice. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a deep dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. MooseFit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Purchase your MooseFit membership and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire. Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign a pre-made program to you or will create a custom program for you. No two programs are the same. MooseFit is well-equipped to help provide you with daily workouts that will help you reach reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month. For more information, check them out on Instagram at MooseFit or on their website, www.moosefit.co. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Joining the two for one drafts podcast is none other than Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs, a guy that we had on the podcast before the draft, before he was big time. Now he's on his way to what should be offensive rookie of the year, Mike. Yeah. If, if tackles were treated fairly and Justin Jefferson wasn't literally lighting the league on fire, Tristan Wirfs would be in the consideration for offensive rookie of the year. Tristan, it's great to have you on the podcast. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks, guys. Absolutely. First thing I want to start with, and it, it, this has to be said, rookie offensive linemen, and Mike talk about Mike and I talk about this a lot, the learning curve going into the NFL can be steep. It can be very hard. Even some of the best offensive linemen drafted every year can struggle out of the gate. It's been the opposite for you. And there's been no, you didn't have an offseason. You didn't have preseason to prepare for this year, but you've really started out and now are on pace to be the highest graded right tackle, according to PFF, when it's all said and done, if things pan out as they've been. Talk to me about what went into this season and how you prepared for this year, because what you're doing right now is truly unprecedented. Yeah, I guess it's when we were in quarantine and everything, it was a lot of just training by yourself. We had our Zoom meetings with the O-line coaches. Um, 
taking a taking a lot of notes, just trying to do the best you you know you could to absorb information. And then when we got here, you know, um, my you know my right guard Alex Kappa has helped me so much. You know, he's such a great you know he he communicates so much. You know, with just regardless of what's going on, um, he just he's just talking, making sure making sure we're on the same page. Uh, so he's been a huge help. Um, rest of the guys too. You know, like me and Donnie will be talking about stuff. Um, you know, different techniques and everything, but. Um, yeah, I mean, without those guys, you know, it'd be probably a whole, whole different story. And then, um, you know, just, just doing the best you can. So week one, you're throwing into the fire going up against Cameron Jordan, a, a really one of the best edge rushers in the NFL, a powerful dude. And then the second week, you're going up against Brian Burns, one of the better edge rushers in the NFL as well, but a completely different style of edge rusher. Do you plan for the guy you know you're going up against each week, or do you kind of play your game week in, week out? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to do a little bit of both. Um, you definitely want to know what what you're going to be getting that week. Yeah, like you said, like Cam's a power guy. He's gonna he's gonna try and run right through you. And and Brian Burns, you know, he's he's got a lot of moves to him. He's, he's slippery, he's quick. Um, but yeah, at the same time, you wanna you wanna play your game and and, and do what works for you. Um, so I would definitely say it's a little bit of both. I want to talk more about the matchups you've had this year. You've gone against a an absolute insane amount of really talented edge defenders. That plays a part because you play in the division there with Cameron Jordan and Brian Burns, but you also went against Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa. What has been the toughest matchup for you so far this year? Oh boy, um, I don't I, I don't know if if I could say like which one's been the toughest. I mean, they've all been. It's you know I, I've had a blast you know getting to go against all these guys because they're you know, they're so good and it's just, it's a different challenge every week. You know, nobody's, nobody's the same. Um, you know, one week, one, like I just said, one week you're getting power, one week you're getting finesse. Um, Cleo Mack, he's giving you both. Um, so it's been, you know, it's, they've all been, they've all been challenging. Let's bring up that Cleo Mack matchup a little bit. You know, Twitter lit on fire when Cleo Mack hit you with the one-handed arm toss. Okay. It literally took over everything. Did you talk to Cleo Mack after the game? Did you bring anything up with him? Did you have a chance to talk about that hip toss? What was your opinion of that play? No, I didn't. I didn't talk to him at all about it. Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't see anything wrong with it, really. You know, like <laughs> I was still blocking him. Um, he gave me a little little wrestling move. You know, I was, my, my wrestling coach, you know, has done that to me a million, a million times. Um, <laughs> Just rolled right through, popped back up, it's on to the next play. So let's also talk about the Joey Bosa matchup because, I mean, Cleo Mack is good to see as Joey Bosa also brings a different level of pass rusher to the NFL. What were some of the things you learned from going against Joey Bosa and having that one? Well, he's got he's got a crazy motor, honestly. Like, he, he would keep going. Like, I was I – was, I chopped him a couple times, but, like, I couldn't keep him keep him down. He just he was, like, bear crawling a couple times and um, – the way he – I don't even know how to explain it, but the way he – like the angle that he plays, like coming off the ball and everything, like he's he's so low um, and he's generated so much power. Like I remember uh, I seen a picture from that game and like I think I think he had both my feet up off the ground. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a great rusher. It was, it's, it was fun to go against him. So you mentioned your wrestling background. That kind of brings up a guy I want to talk about, your former teammate, center Tyler Lindebaum at Iowa. How good he's is he, one? And two <laughs> – who wins a wrestling match between you two now? Because I know you guys had some battles back in the day. Yeah, um, yeah. Lindy's a dog. Um, you'll be, you'll be, you know, I'm sure you guys will talk about him, him quite a bit more. But a wrestling match, that's tough. Um, I don't, I don't know, honestly. It, it could, it, I think it could go either way. He could, <laughs> could get me, or I could get him. Like that's, that's how it went more, more growing up in high school. Um, I think I got him like four or five times in a row. And then the last time I wrestled in my senior year, he, he beat me. Um, so I, I think it'd go either way. I mean, Tyler Linderbaum right now, I think is what the highest graded center in football right yep. now. He is living up to the dog mentality. I want to pivot back to the NFL a little bit and talk about Tom Brady and this offense. It's kind of a super team. I mean, in the NBA, you have super teams, but Tom Brady, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Tristan Wirfs, thrown into that conversation as well. You guys have so much talent. Antonio Brown, what has that been like working in such a talented offense with Bruce Arians under center? And what do you think the ceiling for this offense is as we close out the season? Yeah, you know, for me, it's kind of been like, just crazy to be in the huddle with all these guys, you know, guys that I grew up watching. Um, so just being in the huddle with all that was pretty cool. But, um, you know, I think once we're, you know, when we're clicking, it's pretty hard to, you know, it's pretty hard to stop us. Um, so I think just about finding that rhythm, you know, and, and getting things moving. 
So you know, I didn't even mention Rob Gronkowski in that as well. I mean, it's, it, there's just so much talent offensively. It, what has Tom Brady specifically, how much communication have you had with Tom, who has obviously worked with that offensive line closely, maybe the center more than you, but what impact has he had on you? You know, obviously a future Hall of Famer, maybe the best quarterback the game has ever seen. What impact has he had on you so far this season? You know, just being you know, having Tom at, at quarterback, just being able to learn from him and, and, and listen to what he says. I think the biggest thing, you know, a bunch of people from my hometown always ask me, um, but how like how great of a, a leader he is. You know, just just the the presence that he brings. Um, it's it's been so so awesome to to uh, get to play with him, and um, it, it's kind of cool. There'll be little things that he'll he'll want me to do on certain plays, um, but just you know, trying to make sure I <laughs> trying to make sure I get that done when he when he asks me to do it. <laughs> That's probably fair. Listening to Tom Brady is probably a good move. We're going to finish on this one. I know uh, you do a ton of work for the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital. I want to let everyone know, or if you could let everyone know, how they can help there and continue uh, to contribute to what you do there. Yeah, so um, I, I love the Children's Hospital. You know, when I was in Iowa, we'd go there, um, hang out with the kids. Um, but I'll actually, um, I'm sure I can get a link and post on Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm going to be auctioning off my 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 cause, my um, my cleats. So all the, all the proceeds will be going to the university hospital. So, um, that'll be on Twitter and Instagram. Um, but yeah, that's, that's exciting. Fantastic stuff, man. Really doing a ton of great things on and off the field. Like I said, if you had my, if, it, I, if I was a voter, Tristan Wirfs offensive rookie of the year, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. I, as much as the quarterbacks and running backs and wide receivers get the fame, I think you have been easily the best offensive rookie so far this year until next time, my friend, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Yep. Thank you. Always good having Tristan on the podcast. We had him on earlier, I think in the pre-draft process. Super nice guy. And dude just is just an incredible, incredible confidence about him, incredible maturity about him starting at offensive tackle for a legit Super Bowl contender. I mean, the Bucks have been up and down this year, but with Tom Brady under center, you're a legit Super Bowl contender there in the NFC. And he is... He, we called him that missing piece when they drafted him at, what, 13th overall. Like, yeah. hey, this is that last need that they really did have, and he's filling it, like, insanely. And he said during the pre-draft process, he said broad jump is the, is the, yes. is the combine event that translates most that you need to look for for offensive alignment to translate to success. We didn't listen. And he had the highest broad jump ever, and now he looks like one of the best. He's an absolute monster. Lever, so. The broad jump paying off for Tristan Wirfs. I think he should be, like, like, we, like we told him, offensive rookie of the year. Dude's absolutely dominant. I can't believe Khalil Mack didn't talk to him about the hip toss. Yeah. The fact that they didn't have a little conversation after is a little weird to me. It's a little petty on Khalil mm-hmm. Mack's part. I'm going to go ahead and call it what it is. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. Asa Gale, Mike Renner, 2 for one drafts. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, like, download, resubscribe, then download again, potentially send a screenshot to your friends. 2 for one drafts, the podcast. Thanks again. Asa Gale, Mike Renner, 2 for one drafts.